today on Ag News Daily. We have a plug-and-play GPS unit that grows installed into machines on the firm, whether that's a tractor, a truck, side-by-side, basically anything on wheels, and then provide uh, reporting around uh, operational health and, and efficiency. Well, welcome to a Tuesday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Your Soy Checkoff. This is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Delaney Howell. How are you doing, Delaney? I'm good, Tanner. We're almost done with planting. You know, I say every time alongside Delaney Howell, but we really are never alongside each other. No, we've we've really ever only recorded the podcast together physically, maybe like two or three times, Tanner. <laughs> I got to come up with new words then. But yes, uh, a great day to be planting. We've got sunshine in here in Central Iowa. It looks like there's some storm chances coming this evening, but should be able to get a lot of progress done today. And speaking of progress, Tanner, that's a great segue to talk about crop progress report that came out yesterday afternoon. And just as we suspected, farmers got a lot of corn and soybeans planted. Planting progress as of Sunday, May 16th, totaled 49 percentage points, a jump of 27 points from the week prior. Still not where we are typically at for the five-year average for the week of May 16th, which is usually around 67%. But notably, we saw a lot of ice states make some significant planting progress, Tanner. Iowa, in particular, jumped 43 percentage points week over week. Illinois was about 40 percentage points higher, etc., etc. But all in all, farmers got a lot of corn planted. On the soybean side of things, we are at 30% planted nationwide as of Sunday, up just 18 percentage points from the previous week, still down from the five-year average, which we're typically at about a 39% planting progress by this time of year. So certainly pushing the envelope on pace, but not where we're at still for this time of year. So there's still the question mark of, you know, does later planting impact yields? Yeah, and I have talked to several agronomists in the area talking about how much our plants and crops are going to catch up because of the increased GDUs. But so far, crop development, corn, only 14% of that corn was emerged as of Sunday. That is beyond, behind the five-year average of 32%. Same thing with soybeans, only 9% has emerged. That's behind the 12% five-year average. But what also came out in that report was the conditions of pastures. So Coming out of that, about half of the country's pasture and range conditions are listed as poor or very poor. And that's really bad news. This article here written by Oklahoma State University's livestock marketing specialist, Daryl Peel, has stated that only twice before have we had conditions this bad. And last time was in May of 2021. So just a year ago, and the other was May of 2013. So the biggest impact for what we're seeing right now, Delaney, is we're coming off of a short moisture year in 2021, and it's hitting us hard again. So we are short on hay or reserve feedstuffs for these livestock herds. And he's calling for concerns of maybe some increased herd calling for the areas that are experiencing drought. Yeah, absolutely. Because as you look at states like Kansas, Nebraska, and others that also have heavy winter wheat crop, just 48% of the winter wheat crop was headed as of Sunday. And other states are certainly seeing 
not necessarily improved conditions, Tanner. Right. Yeah. It, there are certainly pockets that are struggling uh, in a big way. Certainly there are, Tanner. But I tell you what, this is a national piece of news that, to be honest, I don't watch a lot of national news, if I'm being real honest. I just usually think it's kind of filled with garbage, but um, happened to be somewhere the other day that had news on and they were talking about the baby infant formula shortage, which has been apparently a, a large issue, or at least the media has made it out to be so. But there's an agricultural twist to this issue as well, Tanner. Apparently, uh, we've seen lots of folks and, you know, push to potentially make it an, a national security issue, national food issue, etc. But a couple of key issues or key pieces of news have come to light recently here. Abbott Nutrition, which is an infant formula manufacturer in Sturgis, Michigan, announced on Monday that it had reached a deal with the FDA on steps for the company to reopen a shuttered processing plant. Now, this plant was previously shut down back in February after several brands were recalled after an FDA investigation due to a bacterial outbreak at the facility. And so this has been shut down. A couple babies passed away during that time, and a couple more were ill. So FDA stepped in and shut that facility down. Well, now they're saying Abbott has apparently made good and has all these steps to get things back up and running because of the formula shortage and just simply needing to be able to produce more formula. But we also saw that the Biden administration has made steps to, quote-unquote, ease regulations around imports, which has a lot of dairy producers upset that potentially we could see other milk products from other countries flood the U.S. marketplace when we do have, as you know, quotas in the dairy industry and a lot of dairy producers. You know, you think back to COVID, beginning of COVID, when dairy producers were having to dump milk, a lot of them have a sour taste in their mouth, so to speak, Tanner. Yeah, the milk market, which is already very tight, uh, does not need any additional pressures. Uh, I had seen that headline, but didn't realize that that plant had been previously shut down for other reasons. So hopefully, yes, the ducks are in the row and we have safe formula to come back onto the market. But let's pause here for a quick message from our sponsor today. Who mapped the soybean genome? You did. Yes, you. Better varieties are on the way. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are achieving big breakthroughs in seed. How? By pooling your resources through your soy checkoff. Your soy checkoff research sequenced the soybean genome to help seed companies and other researchers bring better varieties faster to your operation. See all the ways your soy checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. All right, coming back from national to world news, Delaney. I know you guys reported a little bit on the uh, Indian shutdown of exports due to inflation and food security worries. But just to give a follow-up on that article, the second largest grower of wheat last week obviously stopped traders, ordered them to stop entering into new deals. That has stranded over 4,000 trucks loaded with wheat at the port. There are also four ships loaded with over 80,000 tons of wheat set at the port as well because trucks that arrived at the port after may 13th are asked to return home with the commodity if the trucks got there before may 13th and it was loaded 
those ships can depart. So quite interesting, along with five to 700 warehouses near the port that are also full of wheat ready for export. Sounds like uh, this was a surprise to those producers in India because they had plans of getting their wheat shipped across country. And I, I just wonder, you know, for those people that didn't make the cutoff time, how much money are they losing by having crews of people haul those products to the border? Yeah, I would assume significant, especially if fuel prices are doing anything over there like they are here, which just kind of leads us to follow up on the oil market. So again, oil prices here have spiked to their highs since March. So prices are reportedly um, moving because of OPEC approving limited production and increased respond to the European Union's proposed ban on imports from Russia. But that's not helping things. So we're seeing prices at the pumps continue to climb again uh, as massive crude purchases continue to happen. So another market that we will continue to watch on. And if that's the case with high fuel prices in India, uh, yeah, those aren't short. Those aren't cheap trips to the port. No, certainly not, Tanner. And I have an up, a couple updates on some stories that we've reported on recently as well. Yesterday, you know, we got confirmation that we do finally have the Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs nomination, Alexis Taylor. We've got a little bit more information about her coming to light today. Apparently, she is currently the director of the Oregon Department of Agriculture, but was raised on a farm actually here in the state of Iowa is a veteran and previous deputy undersecretary for farm and foreign ag services and has spent some time on the Hill as a legislative advisor. So certainly will be interesting to see how she goes through the Senate, but um, a little bit of other backstory here, you know, we've seen allegedly secretary Vilsack has said that this role has been hard to fill because of the strict ethic reviews that have prevented other candidates from being tapped into this role. Uh, A previous candidate that they said was really fit for the job was going to be forced to sell his family farm to take the position and decided that was not a good fit for them. But uh, that's been apparently part of the backstory as to why this role has been so hard for them to fill, Tanner. That is quite an interesting catch. And we certainly don't want people in positions that have a conflict of interest, but uh, you would think the value of having a family farm would be quite valuable to a position as such. Yes, I know. It seems a little bizarre, but nonetheless, we have a new confirmation. And I hadn't realized she was from Iowa. I'm curious. I don't know enough about her yet still to understand how she got to Oregon after being in Iowa, but interesting. Yeah. Well, the last piece that I have to report on today is hopefully just a minor hiccup for only a couple of our listeners, but the Federal Aviation Administration and Ag Services for Equipment Providers are reminding us that as of today, the Wide Area Augmentation System, known as WAS, has put a new geostationary satellite into service. So this satellite has jumped up. It is PRN-135. It's replacing the PRN-138. So why they went backward in numbers, Delaney, uh, doesn't say in the article. But uh, this 135 satellite will affect WAS 
transmission. So uh, it is a Galaxy 30. It's located at 125 degrees longitude and will cease transmissions coming out of the 138 as of today, May 17th. So they're telling you here that if you are running a John Deere SF1, 2, or 3, Trimble RTX or RTK, or Outback Atlas, Raven GS systems, this does not affect you. So uh, if you have any of those, don't worry about it. But if your receiver is not one of those, you might be affected and you will need to either switch to automatic mode or choose the 131, 133, or 135 satellites. So that way you don't have any issues today while you're out planting ahead of the rain coming in. So this would affect GPS transmissions for auto steer, section control, and variable rate mapping. Well, Tanner, I have a one final quick update on a story I reported on last week about the Meatpacker executive order that was drafted within the Trump administration. I think I shared last week on the podcast that a lot of um, meat packing companies were involved, obviously, during the COVID shutdown and about 269 meat workers out of more than 59,000 did die. But now we're starting to see more news coming out saying that, well, one, meat packers coerced the Trump administration into allowing them to continue to remain open. We're also seeing some news coming to light that's pointing the finger at meat packers, saying they did not follow the CDC and OSHA guidelines to conduct worker safety. And we're also seeing a subcommittee within the, I believe, Senate uh, pointing the finger saying that the subcommittee staff distorted the truth during the Trump administration about the challenge of producing food during the health emergency. They said the panel could have tried to learn what the industry did to stop the spread of COVID among meat workers but instead, the industry spent billions of dollars on protective equipment and coronavirus testing. At the same time, workers said the companies were slow to act or provide equipment such as face masks or even hand soap. So we're seeing a lot of finger pointing going on here. Ultimately, I don't know what the goal behind all of this is, if there is going to be some sort of legislation or allegations or charges but nonetheless, it's interesting to see all these things come out. And it's interesting to see them think that because they said specifically, they didn't see the meat industry broken. They just saw the supply chain strained. Interesting. It does. It sounds like there's a lot of distraction going on, which will only delay the outcome, whether it is a sanction or a ruling or a restriction. This only seems to just cloud the air. Before we jump into the markets today, let's pause one more time for a message from this week's sponsor. Who mapped the soybean genome? You did. Yes, you. Better varieties are on the way. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are achieving big breakthroughs in seed. How? By pooling your resources through your soy checkoff. Your soy checkoff research sequenced the soybean genome to help seed companies and other researchers bring better varieties faster to your operation. See all the ways your soy checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. Well, Tanner, as we look at the overnight markets this morning, we are certainly seeing a little bit of a turnaround Tuesday here after closing Limit Up for two sessions in the wheat markets. We're giving up some of those gains in the overnight. 
Wheat down anywhere 13 to 22 cents across the board. Soybeans are actually higher in the overnight as we head into opening session, and corn is lower as well. Looking at the livestock markets this morning, we're seeing mixed trade again, once again in the live cattle and feeder cattle pits, with live cattle trading higher, feeder cattle trading lower following yesterday's trend, and lean hogs trending higher as well. So it'll be interesting to see how the market reacts to yesterday's crop progress planting report, Tanner. Yeah, most certainly. It seems like that is the major factor in the corn market today, at least. But it'll be interesting to see how the day plays out. It certainly will, Tanner. But today we are chatting with Cole Powers of IntelliCulture. Hello, listeners. We're here with Cole Powers of IntelliCulture. He is the founder of that company, and we are excited to be speaking with you today, Cole. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Cassidy. Pleasure to be here. So just to give our listeners a little insight, tell us what IntelliCulture is and how you got involved with the company. Yeah, absolutely. I I guess I'll start with kind of setting the stage about uh, the company itself and, and what it is that we do. Um, at the core of IntelliCulture really is uh, we, we work to provide an equipment management software for, for growers. So we typically work with high value producers like vineyards, orchards, uh, and, and tree nuts. And we have a plug and play GPS unit that growers install into machines on the firm, whether that's a tractor, a truck, a side-by-side, basically anything on wheels, and then provide uh, reporting around uh, operational health and, and efficiency. That's super high level. I'm happy to, to dig into some of the weeds, but that's a, a bit of the, the thousand foot view there. And then myself, uh, how I got involved with the company, um, my co-founders and I started a number of years ago. We came, uh, we grew up around agriculture and, and always had uh, uh, a big heart for, for the industry, but we were fortunate enough to get a lot of technical exposure and experience in, in the automotive side of things. So we worked together for a number of years in the automotive space and uh, eventually IntelliCulture was, was born because we wanted to bring that technology that we had been exposed to back into the industry that we cared so much about, which was agriculture. So you said plug and play. So this is a product that can work with all types of producers, no matter their equipment? Yeah, yeah, precisely. And that's been one of the big uh, value uh, drivers that we've seen with a lot of our growers is, uh, especially like if you're running a lot of older, smaller machines, uh, we can plug in red, green, orange, uh, even pick up trucks and ATVs. So I know you said that y'all mainly work with high value producers, but since it works with any uh, type of equipment, would you say that this product is pretty universal to any kind of farmer that would like to use it? Yeah, certainly. And I mean, we, we certainly have producers in, uh, in other, uh, I guess, segments of the market as well. Um, we've just found that uh, a bit more of the traction has been in the high value space, but we do have some producers on, on the egg retail and sort of cash crop side as well that are leveraging technology. So to be specific about how this can benefit our listeners, so you're tracking the machine's performance and probably the operator's decision-making, but where where does the value add come to our listeners? Yeah, that's that's uh, an awesome question. And I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through a couple of, I guess, case studies of, of uh, decisions that have been made on the farm with uh, with the software. Uh, on the, the fleet management side, uh, in, in particular, that what we call our shop view portal, that's really uh, helping to digitize a lot of the maintenance planning on the farm and, and uh, alleviate uh, breakdowns during critical times of the year. 
So um, what we'll uh, do with our producers is help take oftentimes like whiteboards and journals and, and get that digitized so that we can start to help those producers track total cost of ownership of their machines and also get alerted of any uh, diagnostic codes on them. So in the same way that you have a check engine light that comes on in your, in your pickup truck telling you that your O2 sensor has gone bad, we're actually pulling that off of the machines for producers and, and alerting them in real time as well of, of what's going on under the hood of their machines. The, uh, the other use case that has that, uh, is, is been pretty compelling that we've had uh, with, with our growers, especially in the high value spaces, what we call our, uh, our coverage reporting. So because these devices are installed into all the machines in, in the fleet, we're actually uh, providing a quick PDF to the email every morning, highlighting exactly what was done on the farm and, and uh, also breaking that into like an efficiency benchmark. So how, how our growers are, do, are, are leveraging that is they'll see uh, what operators are being the most efficient and then train internally to... Uh, to help improve the operation overall. So if, if one operator is, is doing a particular practice that's yielding really good results for the farm, uh, the, essentially our, our teleculture software helps facilitate that internal training to, uh, to improve the operation. That is super interesting, Cole. And it sounds like it's very effective for farmers to up their efficiency on their operation. And I saw on your website that you have three different products, ShopView, CropView, and CabView. Are those all one plugin that you use and then you get to choose which data points you get or are they three different plugins? Yeah, that's uh, another great question. It's all uh, one unified platform. So we have one sort of simple hardware device that we install and and growers have access to all of those uh, three tiers. We, uh, we typically bundle them out. Uh, the reason that they're broken out is just for um, ease, of, ease of use on the farm. We find that typically like folks are uh, got a more dedicated person on the shop side versus the, the crop and operations end. So that's, um, that's why they're kind of bundled out that way, but it's all one unified platform. You know, this is an interesting product and not the way I expected the conversation to go, which is the fun part about doing these Tech Tuesday interviews is I've got clients as an ag lender that are constantly looking for ways to incentivize good help, you know, to maintain the quality of labor on their farm. And I could even see this tool being potentially used in a bonus structure. Just like you were saying, if you've got an operator that is uh, clearly more productive than others or exceeds a benchmark, same thing with maybe a mechanic, and you can track how limited downtime was during a busy season, uh, I could really see this being beneficial in a lot of different ways. Yeah, no, they, they, thanks for mentioning that, Tanner. It's, uh, it's certainly an area that, uh, in, candidly, like it's not anything that we uh, envision, but we, we've definitely seen some producers starting to, to trend towards that uh, sort of like incentivizing structure as well. I was thinking the same thing, that it would be a great way if you have a really big operation to kind of give your producers and your workers incentives for being the most efficient or being the most effective in the field. So what does the future look like for IntelliCulture? Yeah, I mean, right now, the uh, the immediate term is is really just continuing to grow our name and, and working with producers to, to bring value to their operation. Uh, the long term, though, I guess where, where we're really looking is that robotics and automation is coming to a lot of these producers. And uh, <laughs> frankly, whether they like it or not, it, the market is just so there's so much pressure out there right now, right? Um, so really, where we want to position ourselves uh, at IntelliCulture and, and where we see ourselves growing into is is really helping to alleviate some of those uh, tech transitions. So the, 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 I guess the guiding principle here is if, if producers are able to, to leverage IntelliCulture to, 
find value in ROI in their operation today and how they're managing their farm, we can help bridge that uh, to managing robotics and automation on the farm as well, if and when that time comes. So that's that's what we're looking towards. And it's really just around task and, and operations alerting on the farm, I think, is, is kind of the core lens that we uh, are looking at it from. Very cool. Cole, if producers do want to be a part of that, are y'all only available in Canada or also in the U.S.? And if you're involved, how can producers reach out to you and get in touch with IntelliCulture? Yeah, we're, we're definitely available in both. Uh, we've got a number of clients across uh, U.S. and Canada and even some overseas. Uh, easiest way to, to get in touch is you can uh, land on our page at www.intelliculture.com and uh, reach out through, uh, through our website there. Uh, there's a book, a demo site, and that links right into our, uh, our team's calendars to, to get producers uh, into the funnel and, and hopefully uh, getting some tech on their farm to, to solve some problems. Hey, this is great. We appreciate you taking the time today, Cole, on our Tech Tuesday conversation. We look forward to kind of watching from afar to see how your company grows. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. All right, Delaney, that was another great Tech Tuesday conversation. It's always nice to find what type of new products and new companies are out there trying to propel agriculture forward. Absolutely, Tanner. Glad you guys were able to tackle that one. Yeah, those are fun. Like I said, learning something new every single day. But I think that's about enough for this Tech Tuesday episode. So what do you say? Should we let the people go? Let's let them go.